Turn with me to Matthew 14. We'll be looking at the second part of this uh, story, this narrative in Matthew's account of Jesus walking on the water. We looked at the first part last week where Jesus and the disciples in the boat were interacting. Today, we're looking at the latter part of this story where it focuses on Peter. So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the water, by, by the waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for the privilege of reading your word, of gathering together as your people to worship, to sing praises to you, but also to, to listen to you speak to us through your word, to dive deep into the word that you give us, this revelation of yourself, this revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, the revelation of our salvation made possible through him. And so God, right now, I pray that you would speak to us as we hear your word, that you would meet us where we are, that you would change us as you desire, that you would cause us to see your providential hand in all things and that our faith in that our trust in you and in your providence is, is vital to this walk that we have with Christ. Lord, I pray right now it would be for your glory that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. As we are in this text, let's remember that there's a couple of things happening here. Jesus is Lord of all creation. Lord of all creation, the heavens and the earth. It is by Him and through Him all things were made. We saw that last week. We, doubt, we, we unpacked a lot of that biblical truth about Jesus last week, and we see that played out in this narrative as Jesus is in authority even over the events of these disciples as they get into the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. It is Jesus who initiates that by a command. It is Jesus who initiates all of the events that even as he watches them from a distance, he sees their struggle and he waits to the appointed time that he comes to them walking on the water. As we continue from last week examining this account, this, this is a miraculous event on the Sea of Galilee. 
We've got to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all creation, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, and this passage is intended to show us this. But now what we're going to look at primarily today um, in verses 28 through uh, 33, we're looking at a section of this story about Peter particularly that is only found in Matthew's Gospel. This narrative of Jesus walking on the water is also in found in Mark chapter 6, but this account of Peter walking on the water is only found in Matthew's account. Let's take a look here at verse 28. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 28. And now, now we're going to focus not just on the twelve, but now we're going to focus just on Peter, one particular disciple. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter, we have to remember, is the leader of this group. He was the closest to Jesus as far as the authority structure. They were close. His question here in verse 28, I think it reveals an unsettled faith. Notice what his words are. If it is you. That's an expression of doubt. If this is you, Lord, prove it to me. Call to me and I will come to you. This, I think this really shows his unsettled faith. Now, is it that Peter is in sin by asking this question? We'll let the Lord decide that. Because this is part of his teaching process with Peter. He's bringing Peter and the other disciples through a learning process here. And I think a, a, a faithful Lord who is teaching something is going to be okay with a question like this, perhaps. But there's going to be a lesson at the end of this passage that will show us the response. Because we can see in Peter's request of Jesus and the Lord's submission to his doubt that his sovereignty, Jesus' sovereignty, is often shown this way. Think about this. Notice the response in verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the uh, on the water. Verse 29, he being Jesus said, come. Jesus is still in authority here. Yet he is submitting to Peter's request. Peter, you've asked something of me. I'm going to answer you as you wish. Come. This is how God often works. He will allow questions from us, and he will even say, okay, I'm going to answer your question by what you desire so that we can learn something together. I think that's what's happening here with Peter. Many times our Lord will refuse our request of him in order to protect us from further harm. I mean, God knows all things. His Son, Jesus Christ, this is God incarnate. He knows all things. He knows what is best. Has anyone ever received a silent answer from the Lord or a direct no from the Lord? That's always for the best. And so even here, as Jesus, in verse 29, he said, come to Peter. Okay, Peter, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. Come to me. It's because it is for the best. Notice that? He, Jesus... Our Lord knows what is best for us. He even knows what is best even for the wicked. We'll see that in Scripture too from time to time. That our Lord will use the evil of this world for our Lord's greater purposes. Verse 29 here, Jesus honors his Peter here. He says, come to me. And so Peter asked for this. He asked for confirmation that who he saw on the water was truly Jesus. So that tells you that maybe in the back of Peter's mind, he thought, you know, this could be our Lord. I doubt it, but I want to make sure it could. So there was a little bit of hint back there. Who else could walk on water? 
It's either going to be a, an evil spirit or it's going to be our Lord. And so Jesus truly is the master. And so Peter would have known his voice. As Jesus responded to Peter, Peter would have recognized his Lord's voice. And so Peter would feel the truth in his soul. He would feel at peace about stepping out of the boat. And so Jesus said, come. Jesus allows his faithful here. He allows Peter to follow his own foolish choice. Think about this. How many of you in this room would step out of a perfectly good boat in the middle of a lake? Jesus is encouraging this in Peter. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. He's going to encourage Peter's foolish choice. <laughs> you see that? Uh, Jesus knows the greater good, and if suffering the consequences of our choices leads to a greater lesson of trust, then Jesus will permit the consequence of this desire, even a foolish one. Peter's pretty foolish, yet he's also, he's, he's actually showing some faith here too, isn't he? Jesus allowed this to occur. Note, note the supernatural miracle here in verse 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, just 28, command me to come to you. And verse 29, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and what? Walked on the water and came to Jesus. Has anybody ever witnessed, have you ever experienced that? Stepping out of a perfectly good boat and you're standing on top of solid water? I I don't know the, I don't know the, the physics of how this occurred, and I'm not going to try to speculate. You know, in our modern era, a lot of, a lot of preachers want to sound smart, and so they go study the, the physics of, of, uh, and, and, uh, things, and they say, well, here's what must have happened in the chemical reaction of the H2O and the water, and then this must have occurred, blah, blah. Who cares? Gee, Peter's walking on water. I don't, he, the water became solid enough for him to walk on it. Jesus allowed this. Jesus allowed it, and he allowed it as one link in the continual chain of events that would eventually shape Peter for future ministry and faith. Because you remember the feeding of the 5,000, part of what Jesus is doing there, he's showing the crowds his majesty and his sovereignty and his divinity, but he's also using his 12 in that miracle to prepare them for ministry later as Jesus eventually departs. That's what's happening here on this water here on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is allowing Peter to step out of the boat and experience even just for a brief moment a miracle of walking on water himself because this will help him and prepare him for his future ministry in the church. We can't forget, Peter walked on water. He walked on water. It's what the scripture says. Jesus allowed it. Remember that part of the purpose here is that there's an advantage granted to Peter. I mean, there seems to be a, a favor here to Peter, a, an advantage by allowing him to walk on water. Peter, for a moment, he tasted the fellowship and the companionship with Jesus. Remember, Jesus is walking on water at this moment. And Jesus said, Peter, I want you to experience the same in this moment. I'm on the water walking. So will you That is a bond between Jesus and Peter that none of the other 12 will experience. Peter walked with Jesus. He walked on solid water just as Jesus did. This is not about Peter's miracle. This is about Jesus teaching Peter, we can go through the same things together, my friend. That's what he's doing. Peter experienced a level of faith in this moment greater than he had ever before. You see, the power of Jesus Christ here, it shines brightly in Peter because Jesus welcomed him as a fellow companion on the water. Come on out, Peter. 
come to me. Jesus chose Peter to join him. Peter, your, your faith is enough that you're seeking me. I'm going to grant you the experience here in this moment with me. And Jesus permits Peter to come. Again, Jesus is sovereign. He's in control of this whole event. Now look here at verse 30. Now, I mean, Jesus is walking on water. You ever stepped out on a unsteady surface? You're thinking it's all great and wonderful, and you step out on it, and just for a brief moment, you're doing something miraculous, but then you wake up to, wait a minute, this is stupid. Peter here, he does this. But notice here, the consequence of stepping out of a perfectly sound boat is never good. I mean, the laws of nature are still at play here. So when the reality of natural law takes over, Peter begins to sink into the water. But as we note here, Peter's failure, let's remember that Christ is in control. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, the laws of nature still were at play. But even for a brief moment, Peter experienced the same thing that Jesus was experiencing. The laws of nature were put aside. But the consequences here still come out. Jesus knew the high winds and the waves were going to be terrifying. That the laws of physics were what they were. But Peter's faith, I think, clearly fades here. I mean, it's obvious. and It's what it says in verse 30. When he saw the wind... He was afraid. So his brief moment of faith dissipates or weakens. It distracts him from depending on our Lord. The reality of the broken world that we live in, this broken creation that is the origin and the source here of the winds and the waves and the destruction, it distracts Peter from looking to Christ. The reality of our fallen world distracts us from depending on our Lord, from relying upon Him above all created things. Is that resonating with some of us? We live in a fallen, broken world, and these things can distract us from the one Creator who we depend upon, can distract us from the salvation that our Lord is offering in the midst of this broken and fallen world. Everything will distract us from our eyes being focused where they need to be. That's what happened to Peter. Peter learns a valuable lesson here. I think verse 30 is where Peter began. He he learns the lesson that Jesus intended him to learn. Jesus reminds Peter to cry out to the Savior, Lord, save me. But notice the difference here between what Peter says here in verse 30 and what he said in verse 28. In verse 28, when Peter was in the safety of the boat, Lord, if, if it's you, now in verse 30, Lord, save me. Big difference between if it's you to a confidence in faith, save me. Notice the difference. There's a transition here. Peter knows after losing his solid footing, after looking to the terrors of the winds and the waves, looking to the terrors of this broken world, that when he does not rest with a firm faith in his Lord, the power that brought solid footing on the water will fade. Why was Peter able to briefly walk on the water? It's because of the power of his Lord. Yet he, for that brief moment, turns his eyes away from his Savior back to the broken, fallen world that is terrifying. And when that happened, the strength of our Savior that was supporting him 
distances. Peter distanced himself from his Savior in his doubt. But Jesus here is, remember, he's, he's using this to teach Peter a lesson. And likewise, the rest of the 12, in, or at that point, the 11 that were remaining in the boat, they saw this too. It was for their benefit, and it's now for our benefit as we have this recorded in the Scriptures. Verse 31, Jesus immediately, as Peter's crying out to the Lord, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus shows his compassion to Peter by not allowing him to drown. Even though Jesus is in control of all this and he allows the consequences of the circumstances to play out the way they are, Jesus is always there for his elect. He's always there for his faithful. I'm right here. Even though you've taken your eyes off of me, Peter, I want to show you that I've not gone anywhere. And he reaches out and he grabs him by the hand. But he also chastises him here. <laughs> Jesus deals gently with Peter here, just as he dealt gently with the others in the boat back in Matthew 14, 27, where, and he, where he said to the uh, 12 that were in the boat, saying, take heart as his eye, do not be afraid. He says the same thing here. But does Jesus do the same thing with us? Does he teach us to trust him as he saves us? Does, does Jesus teach us that we cannot save ourselves? That's what's happening here. Does Jesus teach us that only he, the Son of God, saves the sinner? Likewise, only he, the Son of God, can save us in the midst of this fallen world, the circumstances of this broken world that we're in. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the only salvation we have. And so just as Peter began to sink from the fear of this natural broken world, Christians too, I think, will sink from fear when the distractions of our broken world come in. So parents, I want to, I want, I want to, this is a sidetrack, but parents, I want you to hear me. Adults hear me too. But parents, you have a, a distinct responsibility to the children in your care to teach them to put their eyes on Jesus, not the world. Because the world is deceiving. The world is distracting. Now, in this context, clearly, I don't think anyone in this room would say, well, what's scary about high winds and waves on the water? What's Nobody would say, that's scary. That's clearly scary. Yet there's a lot of subtle things in this broken and fallen world that the devil himself is in control of, and he will deceive your children, he'll deceive your family, and you will take your eyes off of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you will drown. Protect your family. Protect your children. It's a good thing. Verse 31. Here's the thing. Just as Peter sinks here in this world, Jesus, he, he, he grabs him. Jesus permits our fears our indulgences with the civil, with the sinful world only when he permits us to experience weakness of faith. Jesus will allow this to allow us to experience the consequences of our sinful actions, our weakness of faith in order to stretch us, to teach us something, to grow us. Verse 31, when Jesus immediately reached out his hand to Peter, he takes a hold of him and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When Jesus stretched out his hands to us so that the waves will not drown us. Once Peter sees this trap, his pain, he cries out for mercy. He cries out for salvation. He cries out to his Lord. And here, both Christ's sovereign providence and Peter's will are both at play here. Jesus guides it all. Because Peter willingly 
got out of the boat. The Lord called him, but it was because Jesus, uh, Peter said, called to Jesus first. He got out of that boat. Jesus didn't grab him by the hand and jerk him out of that boat. Here, I'm going to teach you a lesson. Peter got out of that boat, perfectly good boat on the middle of the water. Perfectly good boat, and he chose to get out of it. That's his will. But at the same time here, look at this. When Peter in verse 30 cries out to the Lord, save me, that is also his will. And the sovereignty of our Lord looks down to him and he says, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Our Lord's intent here is to guide Peter. Our Lord's intent here was to shape his 12 disciples in the depth of faith that would be necessary to carry on the ministry of the gospel. The lesson that Jesus wanted Peter to learn here is right here in verse 31. The lesson is, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? That's the lesson of this text. Our Lord will allow us to make our choices that we do in order to teach us to trust him and also teach us the depth of our faith. Jesus reaches out his hand to Peter to help him in this struggle. And Jesus speaks to Peter. Here's another way that you could see this in verse 31. It's almost as if Jesus looks to Peter. You don't have much faith, Peter. Why do you doubt me? Has the Lord ever spoken that to you? Has he ever taught you that your faith is limited? And so where? how do we strengthen our faith? We can't strengthen our faith on our own. Even Jesus is teaching this to Peter. Your faith is weak, Peter. Depend on me. Even there, Jesus is strengthening Peter's faith with the experience of the moment. But the faith must be deepened. Now, I think it's important to clarify here that Jesus does not condemn all doubts. He's, he's condemning Peter here for his doubt. But you cannot take this and, and interpret it that all doubt is sinful. Because I think... Doubt is often the companion of faith. Doubt is often the companion of faith. God does welcome doubt when it strengthens us, when it strengthens our resolve toward Him. And one may doubt without sin. I think that's possible when the Word of the Lord does not speak clearly or certainly on a matter. I think there is room for a little bit of hesitancy and doubt there as it forces you to depend on something that is not clearly seen. A little bit of doubt is okay. But in this circumstance, Peter suffers a harsh rebuke from his Lord. Why? It's a, it, Because Jesus gave Peter a clear and direct command back in verse 29. He said, come. There was n- Everything was clear. Peter heard his Lord say, come to me. That's direct. So therefore, Peter is now open for rebuke. Did you not trust me when I said, come to me on the water, Peter? Did you not trust me when I gave you directions? It was clear. Furthermore, Peter experienced many examples of our Lord's power, of our Lord's divinity. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle showed Jesus' sovereign power over creation. He showed Jesus' intervention in this broken and fallen world. Peter had those experiences. By this point in the ministry, it was about two years or so into his ministry. You'd have thought after about two, almost two years of this, Peter would have learned the lesson. So he had the experience But he also had his Lord's direct command, come to me. So Jesus' words to Peter here are compassionate, but firm. 
Peter is not left off the hook here for his lack of faith. Peter must learn that all things must originate with his Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. All things originate with him. And while Peter often wants to do the wrong thing for the right reason, that's his reputation, right? He always wants to do the wrong thing for the right reason. And he gets in trouble every time. Anybody like that? That's Peter. In this case, Peter does the right thing. Peter calls to Jesus that night and he shows that he understood that only the call of Jesus will make the impossible possible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that it is only the call of Jesus that makes everything possible. So the teaching in many churches that say all things are possible, you can do all things in Christ is not clearly right. Jesus is the origin of all things, not us. It's not about us doing something. It's about our Lord doing something. And we are just part of the process. Jesus walking on the sea. Let's, let's just make sure, let's make it very clear. Anyone who walks on the sea, uh, that, that's a divine revelation of who he is. This, this was not a parlor trick. There was not some platform underneath the surface of the water like magicians will use. Okay. <laughs> Jesus walking on the water is a divine revelation of who he really is. He's the Lord over all creation. That's who he is. He fed 5,000 plus people, revealing himself to be like the prophet Moses, like Deuteronomy 18 says, who called for bread from heaven. Peter and the disciples, they missed the big miracle there. And Jesus is more than this manna provider. He is God in the flesh. He is deity. He's walking on the water. And it was undeniably a demonstration of who he was. Job chapter 9 speaks to this. We're going to close with this. What we see in Matthew 14 and Mark 6, Jesus walking on the water, actually reflects a lot of what Job said about God himself in Job chapter 9. In verse 8, Job says this, talking about his Lord, he alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. That's our Lord. That's an Old Testament explanation of who he is. He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. And down in verse 11, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Is that not what the disciples experienced? Because Mark's gospel, Mark's account of this indicates that Jesus was walking by the boat as if to pass them by. You see, Jesus is fulfilling Scripture even in this miracle of walking on the water, revealing that only God Himself can march on the waves of the sea. And it is we who are sinful as he passes by us on that water, we do not see him and he moves on because we do not perceive him. Folks, let, let's, how do we take this home? Why then do we doubt our Lord? Why? The sin keeps us from seeing our Lord. He does miraculous things. The biggest one of all is that he redeems a sinner. That's the biggest miracle of all. And he's in control over this broken world that he created that we broke. Let's remember, 
How did the world get broken? That's our fault. That's a, that's, <laughs> that's a simple way to put it. But he also shows us grace. Why do we doubt him? Father God, we thank you for this word you've given us. We thank you for showing us this encounter with your servant, Peter. God, I pray that you would show us grace every time we doubt. But I also pray, God, that your mercy would also teach us in that moment to trust you deeper. I pray, God, that that the sin that we are still dealing with and wrestling with, that that you have actually atoned for in in your people. We, We still struggle in this fallen world, yet we are redeemed and we are your people and we depend on you in this. Lord, when our sin blinds us, when our sin deafens us to your voice, when we do not perceive your presence, Lord, cause these sinful circumstances, these sinful choices to turn us back to you, to deepen our faith in you. Lord, I'm not, I'm not inviting persecution amongst your people, but because there's enough there in this broken world. But God, we trust you in the fact that you, that you are in control of all things. And all things that you control are for the good. And so God, I pray that you would forgive us when we do not see you, when we are distracted by the broken world around us. And that brokenness can be deceiving and and very subtle. It may not be as bold as a storm. But God, I pray that you would love us enough that when we are distracted, when when our eyes are focused on something else other than your Son, Jesus Christ, you would turn our heads, turn our eyes back to Him. Lord, there are many who are hearing these words. There are some here in this room. There are some who are listening to this recording who do not know your son. And the reason they do not know him is because they do not perceive him. They do not see him. Their sin is blinding them. Their sin is blocking them. I pray, God, that you would remove that and that you would make yourself known. We ask you this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.